I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder. The good and the not so good. The successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Another beautiful episode today. My guest is Laura Reeves, and wait till you hear how beautiful her insight is, her her realizations, and how she uses that working with clients. Laura is a recovery coach who actually, I have the honor of saying, works for my center, and I could not be more honored to have her on the show and more proud of her. So let's just jump right into it. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am so honored to be sitting, I would like to say with my guest today, but due to the pandemic and the distance across Zoom from my guest, today we are going to be hearing from Laura Reeves. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, so happy to be here. I am so thrilled to have you. Uh, first of all, I, I'm assuming nobody knows this, but Laura is a recovery coach who works for me and spectacular. I, I am constantly getting the most incredible feedback about who you are as a soul working with another soul. So that really excites me. Laura, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do, about your work, and then we'll jump a little bit more into the podcast. Oh, man. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for allowing me to come on. I absolutely adore your podcast. It's actually how I found you. So it's it's an honor. It's definitely an honor to be a guest. Um, yeah, so a little bit about what I do. I am a recovery coach um, for eating disorder recovery, but I'm also a recovery coach for drug and alcohol addiction. Um, I have a a coaching certificate in holistic uh, nutrition. So um, that basically means that I focus on meal coaching and holistic Um, wellness practices to heal the whole body, mind, and soul. So I focus more on the whole picture versus just food. You know, I don't believe food is the problem per se. I believe taking things a little bit more deeper and looking at the whole picture and the whole being. Everything you say always just kind of gives me chills. So where I want to start, Laura, is if you're okay, I'm going to quote two things that you said in your paperwork. And the reason being is I want people to hear where your thought process is now and 
where you've come from. And we don't need to go through your whole story, but it's been complicated. There's trauma, there's addiction, there's eating disorder. And so the reason why I'd like to let people know where you're at now is so they can internalize that no matter where you're at, you can find these messages from within. So one of the things you said, and I love this, is the recovery journey may turn out to be one of your most excellent teachers and sources of growth. I'm going to say one more, and then we're just going to talk and love each other. You said, as a recovery coach, as your guide, sometimes I will nudge you forwards, and sometimes I will rest with you. I will present different directions forward that I know from my training and experience. However, it is your path and your pace to choose. Part of my goal is to help you get more deeply in touch with your inner compass. I just want to take a deep breath because that is beautiful. That is powerful. That is exactly the work that we do. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about where you came from, which I don't normally do in the podcast. I normally don't talk about the past, but so people know how you got there and what these words mean to you. I have, first of all, I have chills from those words. It's, um, it's amazing how the recovery process and that inner work, that true self can move through you. And even though those are my words, it's, it feels like something bigger, um, is moving through me. Um, and it's so beautiful. It even moves me. So, um, I just want to honor that process for, I almost want to cry. I want to honor that process for anybody who's at the beginning or in the middle, um, even, even at where we're at in our process, you know, that, that growing, evolving, beautiful journey that we're all on, um, you know, the beginning, uh, for me, and I won't go into my whole story, but, um, I, I really had an awareness and, and I, I don't, I can articulate a little bit where that awareness came. It came from some childhood trauma, but, um, I, I went to, um, learning very quickly at an early, early age, um, how to manipulate my body, my figure as a means to coping with trauma, as a means of running away. And um, I don't know why I chose uh, that path, but I chose it at an early age. And um, it became my safety blanket. And I like to honor that safety with clients because it's not a path I feel like I chose, you know? I didn't wake up one day wanting to be part of this community, you know? I love the community now, but um, it's like I picked up this safety mechanism that kept me safe for quite a while. And, I, and that happened for me at a very young age. And throughout time, as my eating disorder grew and evolved, um, the behaviors got stronger and deeper. And um, I did end up in treatment as a teenager 
Um, I was fortunate enough to find some relief for a couple of years. Um, I had a treatment team, I had a clinical team, and I, I'm so thankful for that, you know? But when I became into my early 20s, um, those voices and those behaviors still had a bit of a hold on me where I went from um, ca casually drinking with friends to trying to turn off the voices with drugs and alcohol. And it, and it really did just happen casually like that. It's not like I um, was drinking every day or using every day. It was like, I just, woke, I really feel like I woke up one day and started instead of binging and purging, started drinking um, to, to soothe the pain from the voices in my head, if that makes sense. It, it makes tremendous sense. Um, this is why I have said to clients and their supports, I'm not denying that this is killing your loved one right now. I do want you to understand, though, at some point, there was a shift in their mind and body where they thought this was going to save them. This is a survival tool, whether it's for emotional survival, physical abuse survival. And as I often say, this is not a hall pass to continue, but this is when, when family members and, and partners and spouses get really angry. And I say, you're allowed to be angry let's also remember what the original function was, right? And that's what you're talking about. Right. I, I really felt, um, and even looking back, I think there's a, and I don't want to use the word stigma. Um, I think that's a little bit too strong, but I think there's an overall view that sometimes um, people who suffer from eating disorders or co-occurring addictions um, can be a bit selfish, you know, like they're only thinking of themselves. Um, and I wanna honor the fact that sometimes it's not just the thought of this is about me. Those thoughts are, um, they're more internalized of how can I keep for me, I really was trying very hard, like gripping on hard on how can I keep my family safe from the hurt I'm feeling inside? How can I keep this away from them? And that hiding and sneaking and that shame, even though it was coming out of me, I, I really was trying hard to grip on and not project that onto them. And, and that fight, um, inside me ended up kind of exploding onto my parents. And I love my parents with all my heart. Um, and they're fighters as much as I am. But I don't think that I did that necessarily to hurt them or um, be selfish about myself or damage, you know, being you know, an addict or an alcoholic, you know, I feel like I really was trying to make peace. And, and I know that word peace is um, a little bit controversial within disease and addiction, but I was trying to make peace so I wouldn't hurt 
um, others as much. I think that this is something that we have not brought up before in the podcast. And there is a lot to unpack here because I'm imagining there are some supports listening to this saying, what? My loved one is doing this to protect me? And I'm imagining that there are some clients right now that are listening to it saying, wow, that resonates with me. And that's actually the first time I've heard it articulated. So what what do you say to somebody? How do you help somebody when they say, my suffering is too much for others? It will hurt them. How do you help them or how did you help yourself? That's a great question. Um, I, I do think in our practice, we do hear it, it quite a bit when, um, when our clients are presenting situations as um, they don't want to tell a loved one uh, certain things or situations because they don't want to hurt them, right? We hear that situation quite often. You know, I don't want to tell them this because we don't want to hurt them. I, I just want to interrupt for one second and please forgive me. Where I do hear this quite a bit is clients who have experienced sexual trauma. They don't want to hurt or upset their family members. It's the first thing that I felt when you started saying that. I just wanted to interrupt and forgive me, keep going. I, I, I just wanted to say that. Right. It's that fear and shame and not wanting to put that on to the family member um, or loved one or friend. So I believe, and what helped me the most was, and what I love to tell my clients is there's that inner true self within all of us that wants to awaken and be alive and come back out you know, possibly before that trauma happened, or maybe that's lied dormant inside all of us, you know, and that's where I think we come in and we can be that hand that reaches from the other side and brings them across that bridge. You often, and, and I, I did sort of say this in what I was quoting, and, and this is so true. We I'll use my own myself as an example. I I didn't even know I had an inner compass when I was in my eating disorder. The thing is, is if we can stop the chatter of the eating disorder or addiction and pay attention, we are much more emotionally intelligent, intuitive. We know what our needs are. We know what our wants and desires are, which by the way, some of those things might scare the person. It might scare you to know what your desires are. It might scare you to say, I actually want something. But you often, you know, you talk about that, 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 that each person inside, they do know. So I don't know if you can speak more to that or if I just sort of said it all or. No, I I definitely can speak more to that. Um, I more and more would 
how it, this isn't something I made up. It's something I, <laughs> I'd love to be like, it just came to me one day, but it didn't, you know, over time, you know, this was taught to me and this was how I came into recovery and found um, my true self, you know, was um, a beautiful woman named Rebecca Cooper taught me these principles. And um, it really came down to a, a workshop I did on um, beliefs and values. And believe it or not, at the time I was 35 years old and Karen, I didn't know what my beliefs and values were. I had no idea what I truly believed in or what I valued in my life. Um, and I needed to get to the root of all of that. Then I needed to learn how to not negotiate on my beliefs and values. And that was really the turning point for me was to learn what I really valued in life and what I really believed in and then learn to say, I'm not gonna negotiate anymore. That was the turning point for me. How did you find the courage and do you know the steps you took to implement that? Because Laura, that was a, an old belief that you had that was ingrained in you for up until those that, that year 35 of your life. By the way, that is a powerful insight. How do you, how did you implement it though? And by the way, again, beautifully said the way you said it. Thank you. Um, well, I have to be quite honest. There was some trial and error. There was definitely some rewriting of core beliefs and, uh, and um, core values and some, some trial and error periods. But, um, and mostly it's not so much that my beliefs and values changed. It was that I was renegotiating quite often. You know, I was um, going back on, especially like when it came to dating or um, what I valued in, um, especially with the recovery of my eating disorder, what I valued in, my social life, what I valued in my looks. I had to change my perspective on some of those things um, because really I didn't, what I came, when I came to really know who I really was, I didn't value a lot of the stuff that I thought I did. I think doing values work is a powerful intervention for shift. It's It reminds me of one of those what is that? Oh gosh, forgive me, everyone. What is that picture where you look at it for one moment and it's a vase and then you look at it another moment and it's two faces? You cannot unsee that. Once you realize there's two different ways of seeing this picture, you can't say, oh, no, 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 I'm just going to see the vase. It just keeps coming back, the faces. It's the same thing in values work. Once you uncover them, it is really, it, it happens, we do it all the time, but it is more uncomfortable to go against what you value. By the way, that's where disorders, disease, addiction comes in. It's harder though, when you're so cognizant of your values and you're in the recovery process, 
using your words to negotiate? Absolutely. I believe because of doing that work, it actually allowed me to get into this particular career as well, which was a huge shift for me. I, um, at the time I had been a hairstylist, which I love that career. Um, it's fun, it's creative, but it wasn't what I valued. I wanted to help others. I wanted to be a representative, a woman in recovery, doing work for our community. And I kept putting that on the list and I kept complaining about being a hairstylist. So it took uh, my mentor, Rebecca Cooper, to say, honey, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to help others um, heal from eating disorders. And she said, that's what you need to be doing. So that's ultimately doing that work over and over again, trial and error, trial and error is, um, you know, life-changing. It changed my career as well. I'm also going to encourage listeners right now to sort of reflect a moment on how many times they've put down on a list what they truly want to do. But there's always an excuse. There's always a rationale as to why you're not doing it. We can't do it yet. I can't do it now, blah, blah, blah. And just think about that because I don't think that's uncommon with a lot of people to start down a path, then recognize this isn't the path I want to be on. The, this is, the, the other one is but we just keep it on the list and never attend to it. Why are you laughing when I say that? Because that's what you did. <laughs> that's what I did. And I was so afraid, so afraid to go back to school. I, would, I didn't think this is, I'm almost embarrassed to mention this, but I didn't think I was worthy enough or smart enough to go back to college at, I think I was 36 at the time when I went back to college. And I didn't think, I had this ongoing loop in my head. Um, I grew up with, with dyslexia. It's still something that is very challenging for me. Um, so I thought if I went back to school um, at 36 years old, I would, I would fail. And um, it all just scared me to my core that I just wouldn't be able to do something I, I was so passionate about and so like I could feel it in my bones. This is what I had to do to be happy. But I, I had this fear that I wasn't enough, but I knew that, that I, I couldn't let that fear break me. You know, I, I, I had had enough recovery at that time where I had the tools to get out of fear. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that. My dear friend, uh, Anna Kowalski, who a lot of you, a lot of the listeners know and have, she has been on this podcast. When Anna and I would work together, she would say to a client, and it was my favorite thing. They'd be like, I am so terrified to do this. And she's like, oh, that's okay. You, you can be terrified. You have to do it anyway, though. That doesn't excuse. The fear doesn't excuse it. We can talk about the fear. You can embrace the fear. And regardless, do it anyway. 
And I always loved when she would say that because we do use that as an excuse. And by the way, fear is a powerful, powerful emotion. So I'm not saying that in a, in a way to minimize what fear does, but we can get so caught up in it that it paralyzes us. I know you're scared. Do it anyway. Yeah. And one thing I, I also want to mention about fear, fear on the other side of fear comes courage. And I want to honor that fear absolutely has its feelings and it's <laughs> scary, but um, in my experience, and I am, I am going to speak from my experience with fear when I've gotten through fear and come out of it, it's always built so much courage and self-esteem that's more everlasting than the fear itself. I agree. When you're working with clients, is that something that, so you're sitting with somebody either over Zoom or in person and they say, and you say, can you do a little bit more? And they say, no, I'm scared. How do you, how do you help them through that? Do you say just that? It's okay. Cause on the other side of this is courage. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And by the way, if only it were that easy, <laughs> eating disorders poof, would be, you know, eradicated from our, from our culture, but how do you help clients through it? Let's, let's bring it to the, the practical part right now. You know, I, each, each client is an individual case. And I, I, I know that, you know, that, but, um, when it, when it comes to fear, I meet fear with patience and, um, a lot of love and compassion. And the reason why I top that with patience is bringing them to the other side of that fear, um, might take a little bit of time, and I also like to honor their journey through that fear, you know, and what I'm, what I mean by that is, you know, if it's, if it's a scenario where, you know, maybe they're afraid to get out of the box or try something new, um, have, I want to honor the fear itself and why it's maybe kept them safe, but also, bring them to the other side and, and open up an area where the safety isn't honoring their true life, their bigger life that they're trying to get to and bring them over slowly. You know, I don't, sometimes I think I've heard in the field, like we don't negotiate with the eating disorder. Well, sometimes I think it's okay to slowly negotiate with the eating disorder and bring them over with patience and love. And I, I think that's okay. I don't know if that's a bit controversial to say, but um, I think it's okay to walk the path slowly with patience and, and, and kindness and some love. It is human to say that. This is where, when I read that quote earlier about what you wrote, when you said you rest with the client when they need to rest. And that is beautiful. I often say to clients, when you work with a recovery coach, 
first of all, there's a lot to take into consideration. And I'm always very, very, I want to be very thorough with where they're at medically. If somebody's labs are out of whack from binging and purging and things like that, nope, not a recovery coach. We need to go into treatment. But if you can, and you, I'll say you particularly in this situation, if, if you can maybe prevent that or be a substitute until they get to treatment and say, I can, we can do this a little bit more at your pace outside of treatment. I want to be very clear. We are not saying that we allow the client to completely engage in behaviors, to not follow a meal plan, whatnot, but there is more of a personal pace. That's that's also an invaluable, but again, this isn't this isn't applicable to everyone. Not everyone has the time and they have to go into treatment. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say absolutely. I I also want to say some of being a recovery coach is, and this is my opinion, is being able to share an experience and story with the client. You know, like we have the time and the energy to share our experiences and our stories of recovery. And I do believe there is a powerful um, a powerful, I don't even know the word for that. There is a powerful energy that gets transformed between one recovered person to another person who's entering recovery. And I, again, I don't know what that, I'm doing this with my hands. I don't know what that quite is, that, that energy passes, but it's transforming. It is connection. I also think it is understanding um, often supports don't understand the eating disorder. And, and by the way, not supposed to if they've never had one because the eating disorder is really hard to understand from someone else's perspective, especially when it comes to behaviors. So there is a connection. Like I, I have walked your path, not yours identically, I will always say to clients, it is not because I've had an eating disorder that I 100% get you and your eating disorder. It doesn't work that way, but there are similarities. There are things that I can say that you can resonate with. It also sometimes gives, gives us a hall pass to be a little bit more firm and supports who have never had an eating disorder. And by the way, again, not that I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative about that. Sometimes they don't get that hall pass. I'm going to give the most ridiculous example and forgive me everyone if I have done this before. This reminds me totally non-eating disorder, but this is the, and I'm going to use parent-child relationship in this example. So for those of you who know me, you all know I love comedy. So father of the bride, first one wasn't, it's always the first one of every series. That's the best. Daughter comes down the stairs. Steve Martin says to the daughter, it's really chilly. You should wear a sweater. And she's like, dad, I don't need a sweater. Steve Martin again. No, honey, it's really chilly. You should be wearing a sweater. Dad, I don't need a sweater. Honey, it's really chilly. Dad, I do not need a sweater. 
Two seconds later, fiance walks in the room and says, honey, it's really chilly out. You should grab a sweater. And she goes, okay. That's what it reminds me of. Sometimes it has to be, that's also why groups are so powerful. When a peer challenges another peer, they can, they can handle that a little bit better, right? If I'm firm with a client, they know, first of all, I've been there, done that. And I'm serious now, like granted, I'm always serious, but now we're, now we're in territory that made me be firm and they hear it and go, Oh, okay. Something, something needs to be, I I need to shift something. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, or if I just went off on my tangent about how much I love Steve Martin. So that's, that's really what I want to tell everyone. (laughs) No, Steve Martin's the best, by the way, I took one of his comedy courses. Um, (laughs) I think um, this happens quite a bit where we see the behavior going on and we can like, we see it a little more than maybe an outsider might, you know, we have the roadmap. <laughs> We've lived the roadmap. Um, so we can kind of say, I, I don't think we're going to do that today, or that's not working for us right now. And they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, they're definitely a little more um, understanding or willing to take our help versus like maybe a parent or yeah. Yeah. Parent or support, I think, gets a bum rap. I, and I wear this this label, shall we say, with courage, my clients say that I'm a badass. And I think that's a great compliment. Because what that means is they feel comfortable enough to be that, like to make a little bit of joke out of it, but also understand like, this is serious. I, I actually wear that. Like I said, I wear that label with pride. So, but it's true. It's true. When you're sitting with clients, do you yourself ever get triggered? I, it's interesting you asked me that. I have listened to your podcast before and I really gave thought to that question before I came on here. I, so here's the answer. I don't think I get triggered in my profession. Um, and I've worked in residential. I I work um, privately. So no, I don't think within my profession I do. And I I don't want to say I get triggered. Um, I don't. So here's what I have to say. I don't feel like I get triggered to the point where I act out in any behaviors or feel like I need to do something eating disorder like, but there are points in my life where, and this happened a couple months ago, where I was watching um, a TV show and I saw something that reminded me of something I I watched my mother go through at an early age. And I felt like a tender, soft spot um, in my heart and my whole body that I needed to recognize and write about and do some work on. 
And that's probably the closest thing to maybe triggered that I, I could really tell you that I might experience. I think, I think I'm still evolving and honoring my tender points, but I don't feel like I'm still um, triggered to the point where I, I'm um, acting out in any behaviors. Can I change one word that you just said? And this is just my thought. So you said, I'm still and I don't know if you said taking care of the tender points or whatever, but you use the word still. And what I want to say, Laura, is I think as recovered people, people in the field that have, or people in the world who have recovered, it's not a still, a te- still tending to those, those heart points. It's always being aware of them. I, I don't feel like, I, like I'm very aware of my tender points and the people around me know, can tell when when someone's hit one. I don't look at that as something like, oh, I still, I look at it now as like, thank God I'm wise enough to acknowledge it and do like, say what you said, go and do some journaling about it. That to me is recovery. You're recovered when you can acknowledge an emotion say what it's doing and process through it because we're not immune to seeing things that remind us of our childhood. We're not immune to the toxicity in the culture right now or ongoing. We're not immune to expectations and all these things. We actually look them head on and acknowledge them and take care of them. I just, I don't know why I just felt compelled to say that. It just, that's my thought. No, that's, that's definitely good insight. And, you know, I'm always open to more growth and more evolving. I, I definitely welcome it in. Yeah. Yeah. We all are. We all are. I would, I would ask if people know outside of the field that you, you have, have had an eating disorder and substance abuse, but it sounds like from what we talked about earlier, because you use it as one of your therapeutic tools. How is it for you to share with other clients about your experience? Yeah. So I, I always say that's kind of like, I tease about it, that being my PhD, you know, uh, in life <laughs> is my, my life experience of going through and letting those things move through me instead of happening to me. Um, I, I love, I, I would do it all over again, basically. I love that um, I was able to come out the other side and be a survivor and um, I'm proud of it. I know, I know that might sound controversial, but I am proud of the things that um, I was able, able to survive and, and get through. Um, I have no problem talking about it because being recovered and going in recovery is something to be proud of. We're miracles. And I believe that with my whole heart, every single one of us is a miracle. So yeah, I'm definitely like huge advocate for it. I'm I'm proud and this might sound a little backwards, but I'm proud that I tried so hard to survive emotionally when I didn't feel like I was going to be able to. I'm I'm proud and and this is when we talk about what is the function of the eating disorder. I'm proud that I wanted 
to live enough to say, how else can I get through it without getting so wounded? Granted, completely, you know, nonsensical way to do it. Like, obviously it, it hurt my body. It hurt my mind. It, but I was, I was thrifty, if that's the right word. I don't think that's the right word, but you know, I, I was like, how am I going to get through this life? And it wasn't until I realized like, oh, oh, I have to get through this life by being in it as opposed to observing it from afar. That's why I'm proud of my eating disorder and my recovery. I, I, I don't think that's a, con- you said you, you, that might be controversial. I don't think it's controversial at all. I'm always proud. I'm very proud of anybody who, who walks, walks through fire to get to the other side. Right? Right. Right. And I also want to add, I'm proud of the journey and the tools I got during this journey was learning how to be of service to others. You know, I love, 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 like giving back to others. You know, before um, I was more of an island, you know, Um, a little bit of a party girl, But now it's like, I really live a life of service constantly. And I look forward to it. You know, I really look forward to helping out my fellow man um, and giving back constantly, you know, so, and, and making a, gosh, I just this last week, I really looked forward to just giving food to the food banks, you know, and, and that was part of an amends to my eating disorder. You know, I try to do these things, um, just, just so I can, um, I don't know, feel alive and of purpose, you know, and I really feel like if I didn't go through this process, I wouldn't have really tapped into that inner part of me. I think most of us, and and forgive me, I shouldn't speak for others. So I'm going to say for myself, um, in the field, love, helping others, supporting others, giving back. I, I know what's also very important for me is through this journey, because it, it elevates me to work with clients, to work with their families, uh, all these things. One of the reasons, though, why I feel I can give so much is because I also take care of myself a hundred percent. And that's really important. We cannot just give, give, give. And I think that as a recovered person, you learn that balance between where is it just people pleasing where I'm doing too much and where is it just because that's where my heart is. My heart wants to help other people. At the same time, I know if I don't take care of myself, it'll all fall apart and I won't be able to help anyone. And I'm, I'm very, I'm very, um, you know, my, my time is my time (laughs) and it's important to me. My time with my family is very sacred. My time with my friends, very sacred. My time for rest, incredibly sacred. So it's, it's serving others without giving away whole sense of self, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's, that's one of the first things I think we like to teach is self-care and it's very important to me as well. I, um, just like piggybacking off of you rest family, my time, my time is definitely sacred. Um, I, I think that's one of the first things we teach, um, within our practices is teaching the clients that self-care is is so important and it aligns with self-worth and self-confidence and um you know like learning to really love yourself you really have to learn how to take care of yourself first and what i've learned is i get a lot of respect from people they don't think i'm being selfish or not there for them people respect my time. I I always joke that that most of my clients know that by 8:30 at night I'm pretty much you know I'm I'm starting to fall asleep. I'm an early early fall asleep person. And I love it when clients will text me at like 8:45 at night and they're like I'm so sorry I know you're probably sleeping but I just had to get this off my chest or I just didn't want to forget to talk about this tomorrow in session. And and they honor that. They know, and they're not saying, and and I teach them that. And I say, do you respect me for it? They're like, yeah, I love it. I'm like, you can do the same thing. I will always be there for you, but that doesn't mean I'm there for you 24 hours a day. And that's whether it's a client or a partner or a boss, there has to be times when you say, this is my boundary and as a result, I'm going to be really present for when we are connected. Right. Well, boundaries are definitely a form of self-care, aren't they? Yeah. 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 Part of that mantra is let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I like to follow that. Is that your favorite? What What is your favorite mantra? If if And favorite, as I was saying that, I was like, I don't know if I like that word, but what what is one that you you turn to a lot? Um, progress, not perfection is, is something I find myself saying a lot and, um, esteemable acts build self-esteem. I use, I use those quite often. I like those. Going back to quieting the mind. If you can quiet the mind and find a mantra that fits for you, it is a really powerful way to start and end the day. It really calms, brings your nervous system, calms it down. It brings you into yourself. I think it actually brings you into your own power. Yeah, I wanted to add add to that. I'm um, one of the things I started doing early on in in my journey was um, the power of a morning routine and the power of a night routine. And um, my, I mean, every, every, I've talked to many people that have different routines, but uh, one of my teachers taught me um, on top of the mantras, mantra practice, the, the positive affirmation and meditation and writing, writing has been one of my favorite practices to do in the morning, just to get, I think, what does she call it? She calls it mind dumping. And I love that, just getting the words out on the page first thing in the morning and then, you know, ending it with some positive affirmation just to get everything out and then the positivity. 
um, you know, out in the world. I just love the practice of a, of a morning routine. I've always felt that that's very important for me. It's always set the mood for just a wonderful kick-ass day. And then for me, my nightly routine is more of that calming, soothing. Um, I like to read something spiritual or uplifting, you know, and, and I always feel like this is um, this practice of routine for me, might not be for everybody, has always just helped me to keep more centered with myself. I also want to say when people are struggling with eating disorders, they have created an eating disorder routine that they feel keeps them safe. So if they can understand, it's not the actual acting on the eating disorder that is making you feel safe. It is the routine. Can you find another routine? I also don't want to simplify it. Like, I don't want to make it so simple that it's like, oh, you can stop binging and purging if you had a routine. But there is so much, there's so many rituals that go into an eating disorder that people do have daily rituals and it helps them. Like, for example, there isn't anybody who, if they sleep through their alarm on a work day, that isn't going to be like, this is not my norm. And now I'm probably not going to have the best day. So we have rituals right down to the time we set our alarms. So it's about that. If you can start creating healthier rituals, you're looking for something and it's that. It's not always the behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Laura, I am so sorry that we are we are going to have to start bringing the podcast to an end. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share, or just anything that you'd like to say before before we close down? Off the top of my head, I just want to thank you again. I I've. I adore your podcast. I'm so honored to be a part of it. Again, this is how I found you. Um, and I, I was able to reach out to you and, and now I'm on here. So it's such, a, such an honor. It's so cool. So thank you so much. Um, and you know, to your listeners, I just feel like, you know, when we're in the process or, I like to break it down like this, you know, it, it comes from, you know, reco- like focusing on what we're recovering from to one day, you know, what are we going to recover to, you know, and, and finally dropping that and just being a beautiful, solid human. That's just part of this wonderful world, you know, and, and I'm so proud. I'm so proud of all of us who are, here working on things showing up you know and that's that's what it's about it's like suiting up and showing up and and being a part of life and um if you're fighting then you're doing a good job beautifully said and i want to say that it is an honor to have you on the podcast and to have you in my life as somebody who works with me and helps the clients on a daily basis. So I just wanted to say that to you.
You're welcome. You are so welcome. Before we end, I do have to ask you your final question, which is, if you were a character in a movie, book, or television show, what genre would you live in? <laughs> yeah, so I thought about this question. It had me, I have to be honest, it had me stumped. Um, so after some thoughts, I came up with um, a dramedy, which is half drama, half comedy. And I think it would have to be a sitcom. Um, mostly because I have some wonderful characters in my life. Um, I know you mentioned Sylvia quite often. I have a Stan and a Karen in my life and they are just a hoot. And um, I love them very, very much. I also love my, my wonderful husband. So I definitely think dramedy and it would have to be a, a sitcom show, so. By the way, that is my life in, in a nutshell, a sitcom. Laura, I adore you so much. I can't even tell you. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. This is such a gift. Thank you. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. To wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well and thanks for listening to my bite for the week. Thank you.